This is Podco Media Networks. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done in the workplace or that they have said and done in the workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I'm Ed Everett, and I'm the founder of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast designed for individuals just like you to share stories just like yours and provide ideas and solutions on how to take the next step. We are speaking with individuals who have said what needs to be said or done what needs to be done and the positive impact this is having on their career. Or we're speaking with individuals who have not said what needs to be said or not done what needs to be done and the impact this behavior is having on their professional life. With both participants, we will share observations tips, and ideas on taking the next step. Today, we are continuing our conversation with Harry Ebbinghausen, the retired president of North America for Iron Mountain, the world's largest records management company. In part one of our conversation, Harry told us the story of leading an organization that had 18 acquisitions over three years and the impact varying systems and processes were having on the company. So in order to enhance the customer experience, standardize internal operations and billing procedures, and drive out inefficiencies that come with combining 18 organizations, changes were needed. Let's listen as Harry continues his story about a decision he made that required bravery in the workplace. It was becoming evident to me that we were failing. Okay. So I wasn't churning over the fact that we were failing. What I started churning over was a lot of these people, right, who were in these roles and held these senior positions were endeared, right, mm-hmm. By their own, mm-hmm. and a lot of them. I mean, they were good people. Right? These were not people who were jerks or you know were were being mischievous in terms of trying to undermine the organization. They actually were working hard and felt they were doing the right things. And in some cases, because now you're talking about you know two, in some cases two to three years had come off the clock. I had built relationships with these individuals as my direct reports. So. This is where I, what got me churning was I'm going to have to sit across the table from this particular senior leader and let them know that I'm going to be taking them out of their role and moving them into another organization or even moving them out of the organization. And those are hard conversations to be had, right? These are well-seasoned, accomplished executives who I'm either going to be demoting, for lack of a better term, or in some cases putting out of work. And what's going to be the implication? How is this going to ripple through the employee bases of the companies that they had been leading and going through? And how is this going to be perceived? In some cases, I may be topping somebody who was in the larger organization with somebody calling from the smaller smaller organization, or they may, in their eyes, have viewed as being more junior to them in terms of their experience and tenure. So this was going to create a lot of potential personnel and people issues and morale issues, which of course would ripple down through the employee base and ultimately impact the customers even further, other than how we were failing them with respect to the lack of consistency that we had. And that's the part that had me churning. That's, those are tough decisions to have to sit down and, and go through and not know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, and you think about the employee base different employees were tied to different leaders based on which of the organizations they came from. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you know, they got brought in 
to a company that's acquired, there's a natural fear in the organization. Am I going to lose my job? And I'm talking about employees at all levels. They're now a year or two into the acquisition. They're feeling good that their former leader is still in the organization and still leading the organization in their particular group. And now all that's about to change, right? So that will create you know, a degree of, of uncertainty and fear for the organization in terms of, okay, you know, if I'm going to use my name, right? If Harry's been let go or Harry's been topped, am I next? Mm-hmm. There's a level of anxiety that can build or can, you know, you can sit there and draw out scenarios, right? This is where, like you said, your mind tends to wander into places it shouldn't as you're trying to think through, okay, if I make this move, what are the repercussions? What's going to happen? How do I prepare for it? All right. So what happened next? So what happened next was I had to go into a bit of a stealth mode, meaning I now had to shrink down the circle of individuals that I could work with as I was formulating my strategy and plan and changes. And this is where my HR organization was a huge partner to me because I had to bring them into my confidence of what I was thinking about and how I was going about doing it and then building a communication strategy and the plan for execution around this organizational restructure. And then we had to pull the trigger and act quickly, meaning once I sat down and had the conversation with one individual, I had to have the conversation with the remaining individuals, whether they were being impacted directly or not, to explain what was going on so I could get the leadership team aligned quickly and start executing against where we needed to go. You know, it was it was a scary time and process. And quite frankly, I was afraid of a couple of things. I was afraid of failing in the execution phase of it. I was afraid of, you know, am I putting the right people in the right roles on a long-term basis? And I was afraid of potentially disrupting the customer base where we would have customers exiting and going to competitors after we had spent these hundreds of millions of dollars acquiring these 18 companies. And we had targets that we had to deliver on in terms of our revenue. And what really gave me a sense of security, if you will, to continue to move forward was a couple of things. One was I realized I really shouldn't worry about failing because we already are failing. We're failing our customers, we're failing our employees, and we're failing our investors. It may accelerate that failure if I make the wrong decision, but it's not, we're going to fail anyway if I make no decision. The second was that I was able to bring into my confidence a smaller group of individuals, our HR folks included, and through that dialogue and conversation, this is where, you know, you start documenting the plans and you start building the contingencies, you start gaining more strength and confidence in your ability to execute. And then lastly, my mentor and at the time, the CEO of the company, when I went to him and disclosed what I was going to do and he listened and he said, he gave me his vote of confidence and said, you're making the right decisions. So, you know, all of that helped me to move forward and continue to make the changes that were required at that time. Harry, I want to make a quick observation that I think it takes a brave leader to acknowledge that they're failing. I've worked with many, many leaders who are in denial or never even acknowledge that that is their situation. And so they continue heading down a path that's not helping. And I think it takes a brave individual to acknowledge that what they're doing and how they're doing it and the impact that it's having on people and the organization and employees and investors isn't what it should be and that we need to do something a little bit differently. 
I would agree with your comments. And to this day, I've always used kind of that scenario to as kind of the litmus test or how I check myself against other organizations and in the roles that I sit today on the boards that I sit on today when I'm helping to coach the CEOs and running their businesses. I'll even share these stories with them so that they you know, they realize, look, what they're going through is not unique, right? This is what leaders go through. And these are the challenges that folks face. And that's why the expression, it's lonely at the top, right? That's where it comes from. <laughs> Great. Well, take us to the final round of your story. Well, the net result was that the execution of the leadership change went almost flawlessly. I mean, there was a few hiccups and bumps, but nothing that was you know devastating or disruptive to you know in terms of moving forward. A lot of it was people related. A few people reacted differently than I would have expected, but that's okay. We got through it. We ended up developing our new standards and best practices within six months. So here we were, it was about 12, 18 months of struggling. We couldn't get to any answers within a period of, you know, one third of that period of time. The team was able to figure out how we were going to standardize and what we were going to standardize on and come up with the new way that we were going to operate. And then we built an execution plan where we took 42 facilities across the United States and over the course of 36 months, systematically just built an entire conversion plan and executed against that. At the end of the day, we ended up with an offering that nobody else in the country could match, which became our competitive differentiation, particularly if you had companies who had multiple locations or data centers across the country, of which a lot of the large institutions that we serviced uh, did and still do at this time. So now you had, as one of our customers, you had the same experience in terms of the service level, the same technology platform, the same billing, no matter where you did business with us across the United States and across the country. And our customers loved it. They loved what we had arrived at. So our employees were now more productive. Things were less confusing and less hectic for them. They felt better about the work that they were doing. You know, we had raised the bar in terms of the quality of the facilities that we worked in, as well as the service levels that they delivered upon. And to our investors, we were able to drive out the inefficiencies and the costs. We were able to improve our margins, you know, taking them up from a percentage point basis, you know, from single digit margins to double digit margins. By coming through this conversion, we were now positioned from a company perspective to grow, not just in the services that we offered, but also by taking on some additional services and offerings to our clients that we hadn't or weren't able to do in the past and to further accelerate the growth of the company. So we basically, you know, at the time that everything came together, I would say that we were about, when we first did the acquisitions, we were around 125 to $130 million within the period of seven years. So the first three years being acquisitions, the next three years being the integration phase. The end of seven years, we were about $350 million in revenue. So we had more than doubled the company in that period of time based upon what we were able to accomplish. All right. So several years later, upon reflection, it sounds like it was a good move. Can you capsulate for us, Harry, and for our listeners, you know, what's two or three things that you think they need to think about in order to navigate complex employee relations issues, you know, all the issues that you talked about earlier in respect to the impact these type of 
activities or behaviors can have on the organization as a whole, you know, what's two or three things that they need to think about in order to navigate through something like this similarly? Well, my first, it would be to say, it's not about you. I think we tend to think about how is this going to reflect on me? How am I going to be perceived? How am I, how's this going to impact me? And take it beyond you and think about how's this impacting your organization, the company as a whole? How's it impacting your employees and how's it impacting your customers in the marketplace, right? Your investors. I think that gives you a different framework or perspective to think through what needs to get done. And it depersonalizes the decision from the point of view of if you're worried about you're going to get fired, if you don't do something, chances are you're going to get fired. So just throw that out the window and start thinking about, you know, how's this impacting my other constituents and what do I need to do to serve, better serve them? I think that becomes a better approach when you're dealing through these issues. The second is don't go it alone, meaning like we said, there are, there are people whom you, you respect and whose experience can be very helpful. Their past experience can be very helpful to you in terms of thinking through what are the things that you have to do and, and think about, right, to be successful, to execute successfully. I would highly encourage you, if you don't have an HR organization, you should reach out to some HR professionals who can help you in thinking through the people aspect. Uh, it's change management, getting folks to understand what the new world is going to look like and why and how it's going to be better, right? Create the vision of how it's going to be better so you get the buy-in to those decisions that you're going to make, those changes that are about to occur, and having a partner like HR to help you think through and to help you to execute through that uh, on the people aspect is extremely helpful because if you have the entire body moving in a direction, that momentum will carry you a long way and help expedite versus you trying to do it all yourself right. on that basis. Yeah, so th- those would be the kind of the major things that I would suggest or recommend that folks think about during these times. Terrific, terrific. Harry, thank you for joining us today and for sharing what was a significant event at your organization. And of course, we love hearing that it resulted in positive movement for your organization. Thank you once again for joining us. Thank you, Ed. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks to our audience for listening, and we invite our listeners to join us next Monday when we hear another story from a real-life leader on real-life bravery in the workplace. Our guest will be Tracy Burns, who's the president of the Northeast Human Resources Association, and she will be telling us a great bravery story. Okay, listeners, have a great week.